All right. Uh, solitude and silence is what we're talking about today. Um, there are. You can turn in your Bibles to Matthew six. That's where we'll be in a second. Um, kind of starting off, it, it, it'll be less of a from one passage uh, text today or message today. It's more uh, from several different passages. Uh, but we're in a series on spiritual discipline, and uh, we've said that spiritual discipline is is commanded in the Bible. Right? Uh, Paul says to Timothy, uh, "Train yourself in godliness." Right? Discipline yourself. In godliness, the word there is, is gymnasio. It's from the it's the Greek word that you, we hear the word gymnasium in there. It's an it's a uh, athletic word, an Olympic word, um, and so it's a it's a training. Train yourself for godliness. And so we've said spiritual discipline is sustained, strenuous, focused effort to grow spiritually, and we want to be doing this. We want to like Second Peter one says, make every effort to grow in the knowledge of God and to grow in our obedience to Him, and so. Um, Andy Crouch says, Disciplines are very much like what weightlifters call progressive overload. The best way to gain strength is by pushing your muscles to the very edge of their current capacity for a relatively brief time. No one can spend 12 hours a day bench pressing hundreds of pounds, and no one should want to. But spend an hour a day, a few days a week, in that kind of focused, strenuous exertion, and you will see gains in strength that come no other way. Strength that will then be available for everything else you do. The point of working out is not just to be able to complete more reps with higher weight a few times a week. It's to develop and train our bodies to be healthier all the time. This is how spiritual disciplines work as well. The central disciplines of the spiritual life, as taught by generations of Christian saints, have stayed the same for 20 centuries now. Solitude, silence, and fasting. Each of them pushes us beyond our natural limits, and all of them give us spiritual resources for everyday life that we can gain, can't gain any other way. So this week we talk about one of the uh, one of the foundational spiritual disciplines historically, uh, and and one that I think we struggle with more than uh, more than others, um, and that is solitude and silence. Yeah, we did we did a uh, some, some of you guys were in the guys discipleship group this summer, um, and one of the disciplines that we we were practiced or we tried to practice weekly was three hour block of solitude and silence, just you and your Bible for three hours, and and. I think it was the hardest one <laughs> for everyone to do, right? Like we, we could fast, we could pray three times a day, we could do, but but to just sit, to be quiet with the Lord for three hours, that was a, that was a struggle. That was hard, and we we do struggle with this. So we're going to talk about today. What is um, we're gonna, four questions? What is solitude and silence? Is it taught in the Bible? Why is this so hard for us? And then why should we practice it? What are the benefits of of practicing solitude and silence? Um, so what is it first? Okay, so y'all, you know what those words mean. Solitude uh, is being alone, right? Silence is being quiet, um, and so that's what it means, you know, on the face of it. But there's there's more to it than just just that. Just just because someone's alone and quiet doesn't mean they're practicing kind of a helpful spiritual discipline. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great uh, German theologian pastor, uh, said, "Silence is the simple stillness of the individual under the Word of God." Dallas Willard. Um, the pastor and, or really philosopher uh, and, and a professor, um, said, Solitude is choosing to be alone and to dwell on our, on our experience of isolation from other human beings. Silence goes beyond solitude, and without it, solitude has little effect. It is a powerful and, and essential discipline. Only silence will allow, allow us life-transforming concentration upon God. Only silence will allow us life-transforming concentration upon God. Richard Foster, 
says this, Without silence, there is no solitude. Though silence sometimes involves the absence of speech, it always involves the act of listening. Simply to refrain from talking without, without a heart listening to God is not silence. We must understand the connection between inner solitude and inner silence. They are inseparable. Okay? And I want to point out a, kind of one specific thing from these definitions. It's that silence and solitude is not just a, a con, it's not, um, it's not emptying your mind, right? It's not like Eastern meditation, uh, you know, where you just try to not think about anything. Uh, it's, 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 uh, this is, it has to do with meditation, right? Which we said is not emptying your mind, but rather filling your mind with truth. Um, it's sitting under God's word, right? Like, like Bonhoeffer said, it's concentrating on God. Uh, it's listening to him, as Richard Foster said. Um, so silence and solitude are, is really, uh, it's, it's the foundation for a lot of the disciplines we've already talked about. Right, we we've already studied uh, we've already studied meditating on God's word. We've already studied prayer, um, and and if you aren't alone and quiet, can you be truly reading and meditating on the Bible very well? I don't think so. Right, uh, if you're if you aren't undistractedly listening to God, can you really be praying well? No, I don't think so. Trying to read and meditate without silence and solitude is like it's like putting the walls up to the house before you've laid the foundation. Right, it's not gonna uh, it's not gonna work or for very long or be very useful in the long run. Um, it's not gonna hold up. Trying to pray without silence and solitude is is like trying to have a conversation at a heavy metal concert. Right, yeah, it's just it's too loud. It's distracting. You can't do it. So this is what silence and solitude is: um, silence before God in God's presence, listening to Him. Uh, is it taught in the Bible? Is it taught in the Bible? Yes, but in a sort of assumed kind of way. Okay, so the. Um, the, the Matthew 6, 5 is probably the, the closest thing to an explicit command to silence and solitude. Uh, this is Jesus teaching on prayer. He says, Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who's in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Okay? So, what does he say? He says, don't pray. The Pharisees, they like to pray to be seen by others, right? So when you pray, you need to pray in secret. Now, he's primarily, I think, getting at the motivation of our hearts, right? He's saying we should pray to God to be with him, not, not to, for the praise of others. But he does say, go into your room, shut the door, like be alone uh, and, and be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you for that um, if you pray in this way with these motives. Um, Jesus' example is even more clear. Matthew 4.1 says, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He started off his ministry in the wilderness. Um, silence and solitude, right? Matthew 14, 22. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. After dismissing the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Well into the night, he was there alone. Mark 1, 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up, went out, and made his way to a deserted place, and there he was praying. Simon and his companions searched for him, and when they found him, they said, everyone's looking for you. Right? He's very busy. He's healing people. He has this huge ministry. Everyone loves his, his teaching. Um, and the disciples get up, and they're like, okay, Jesus, time to go. Where is he? And they get, he, oh, he's out in a deserted place praying, right? No, Jesus, you gotta, you gotta, you're busy. Come back. And Jesus, no, he's, he's making time. 
When it was day, he went out and made uh, Luke four forty two. When it was day, he went out and made his way to a deserted place. But the crowds were searching for him. They came to him and, and tried to keep him from leaving them. So it's amazing to think about. Jesus shows us a life of complete obedience to God. I mean, as I said, even when he's he's, he's his busiest, uh, he he still took time in silence and solitude to get alone with the Father. Isn't that crazy? And I think sometimes we might we might discredit that like we might say oh, well I don't have to like spend a certain time praying I can just pray like while I'm driving or I can pray like in the car or I can pray you know in between classes I can even pray in class God hears me all the time right and that's true he does certainly he hears you all the time um, but but you know like apply that to Jesus it's like do you think Jesus had a pretty good relationship with God the Father no y'all don't <laughs> okay I'm not going to get any responses here. You think Jesus had a pretty good relationship with the Father? Yes. Thank you. Yeah, just, just like little head nods would be fine. Um, it's just, any, just anything but blank faces. Um, the, uh, yeah, right? He had a great relationship with the Father. Do you think if anyone in the history of the world could, could have laid in bed in the morning and prayed to God successfully, do you think it might have been Jesus? I think so. But he didn't. He chose to get up and go out to the wilderness. To be alone with God and pray. Right? He, he, knew, he knew he was a person, right? Uh, he learned and, and grew just like the rest of us, right? He grew in wisdom and stature. Um, he was 100% God as well as 100% man. And he knew how men grow in relationship with God, right? Um, and that's time alone with, with the Father. That's essential um, to that, okay? Now, um, so that's, that's what is on solitude. Is it in the Bible? Yes. Um, why is this so hard for us? Why is it so hard for us? Well, I, I want to talk about an external pressure, so something from the outside, and an internal one. Okay, an external pressure and an internal one. Um, C.S. Lewis said this about uh, modern transportation, which, was, which is the car, you know. In his time, the, the car is kind of the, uh, the most modern uh, transportation. He says, I number it among my blessings that my father had no car, while yet most of my friends had, and sometimes took me for a drive. This meant that all these distant objects could be visited just enough to clothe them with memories and not impossible desires, while yet they remained ordinarily as inaccessible as the moon. The deadly power of rushing about wherever I pleased had not been given me. I measure distances by the standard of man, man walking on his two feet, not by the measure... uh, not by the standard of the internal combustion engine. I had not been allowed to deflower the very idea of distance. In return, I possessed infinite riches in what would have been to motorists a little room. The truest and most horrible claim made for modern transport is that it annihilates space. It does. It annihilates one of the most glorious gifts we've been given. It is a vile inflation which lowers the value of distance so that as a modern boy, uh, so that a modern boy travels a hundred miles with less sense of liberation and pilgrimage and adventure than his grandfather got from traveling ten. C.S. Lewis, you've got to love him. Uh, what's he saying? He's saying, uh, he's saying, I'm so glad I didn't have a car growing up because I, I enjoy, like I can walk a mile and see infinite riches. Where a car in a car, you just blow by, you don't even see it. And when I first read this, it surprised me because I hadn't seen the world from that point of view. I had never thought about it that at all. Why? Because I've always had cars. I've always ridden in cars. Like, that's the only world I know. But after reading it, I saw what he was saying. 
So it's, it's undeniably true. Being able to drive somewhere, it annihilates space. Now, of course, there are benefits to cars. I'm glad I have a car. But in a real way, it does rob us of infinite riches. What do you miss by driving instead of walking somewhere? An infinity of wonders, right? Driving annihilates space. So you should take long walks. That's not the point of this message, but you should take long walks. Um, but if modern transportation annihilates space, you're like, where, why are you talking about this? Do you hate cars? Like, I don't understand where we're going. If modern transportation annihilates space, then I think modern technology annihilates solitude and silence. Okay, I think it's a similar, um, similar thing. Maybe, um, like me, about cars, you've never th- thought about this. You've never noticed this because you've always had it. You've always had phones and tablets and TV and... Um, Maybe you're not aware because it's the only world you know. Uh, you know, but almost literally every moment of our lives is filled with noise, is filled with activity, is filled with connection, is filled with distraction. Just think about it, right? What do you do when you're waiting in line somewhere? When you're sitting in the back seat of a car? When you're driving, even right? You shouldn't. Uh, I shouldn't. When when you're waiting, you're waiting for a ride. When you're going to the restroom, right? When you're showering, like I have a I have a wireless, a Bluetooth, waterproof speaker in my shower, so I don't even have to be alone there. I can be listening to some music or a podcast. Um, you know, you pull out your phone, you listen to music or text or play a game or like and comment and follow and snap and you know whatever people are doing these days. Uh, tweet. What I don't know what the newest thing is. Uh, you know, we, we read articles, or, you know, or at least like the titles of articles, and we listen to podcasts, uh, just open and close apps randomly, you know, just open, close, open, close. Uh, you know, open, habitually open and reopen the same app over and over for no reason. Um, and, and we aren't even mentioning the times when we know we should be engaging others, right? Like in class, or like eating with others, or like sitting in the living room with your family, or like like sitting listening to a message, right? <laughs> so I'm going to catch someone. Brealey, I see it on your phone right now. Uh-oh. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> so anyway, you know, you know the pull of that, right? The pull of that, the, it's just a habit. It's, 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 so, it's distraction. It's the almost... Constant and irresistible urge to just distract yourself for, for any nanosecond of inactivity. Um, and if you, don't, if you don't feel that, and some of you may not feel that, uh, maybe you don't, your parents haven't let you have a phone. If that's true, then you are blessed. You don't know it, but you are blessed. Um, and, but you will feel this, right? It's coming. It's coming to you. Um, and, and, and I'm not down on you for this. Like, it's not your fault. It's like, you didn't choose to be born in 2005 or whatever year you were born in. Like, the, like you, you, this was the world you were born into. It's just the world that exists. It's the world you live in. But just like C.S. Lewis said, we miss infinite riches in abolishing space. Um, uh, what riches do we miss by abolishing silence and solitude in our lives? We might miss God himself. Right, I think this is important. Your generation is really, and I, I say this all the time, but I, I think it's important. Your generation is the first one to grow up like all you know is the iPhone. You know, 
Um, and it just absolutely enmeshes us, like not just the iPhone, but all the technology, enmeshes us in noise and distraction. This is a challenge that none of your ancestors have had to face. A totally new and different world. You're, you're the guinea pigs. You're the test case. And, and as I said, it's like water to, to fish. Like you don't know anything different. It's not your fault. Um, and you can't, you can't possibly realize how extreme and new it is. Uh, but it's your responsibility to, to learn how to follow Jesus now, right? In, in this time. Um, you, you are responsible for how you respond to the unique challenges that your generation has to face. You have to figure out how to, to deci- discipline yourself um, to find silence and solitude in a world of Wi-Fi. You, you have to forge the path for those who will go after. The, you're, you're, the next people who are going after you are going to look up to you either as a, an example to follow or as something, you know, an example not to follow. Like, I don't want to be like them, right? Uh, so I, you're kind of the leaders in this. You're the lead, lead generation. And, and I, uh, I pray that God will give you the strength and the courage and the creativity and wisdom to follow him uh, here and now where you are. And so that's the external challenge to silence and solitude is just, I mean, the, the, the constant noise, the constant distraction, it's always there. The internal one, so there, there's also an internal pressure of why that makes it hard, and, and maybe it's, it's even a harder one. Uh, and, and it's just that silence and solitude is scary. Right? Like just to sit alone with your thoughts. That sounds horrible. Right? Uh, it means, and that means I'll have to deal with that thing, that deep darkness inside me. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And this is why this is why the pull to distraction is so intense, isn't it? It's really hard to face up to who we really are, or or maybe who we don't know we really are, right? Uh, maybe the, what we're working out about ourselves, um, who God is, right? What happens in the world? What has happened to us? What's happened to others? It's hard to face our own shallowness, our our own shame. Um, and why do like why would we do that when you can just watch Netflix? You know. Like, why face that, that inner darkness? Um, it's just so easy to be distracted. So that's the, that's the internal challenge. Um, and I think that Jesus gives us resources we'll talk about um, at the end to, to, fa- to face that internal challenge. Um, and, and we don't have to fear it. But I think, that, I think we, there's, there's both of those and, and more, right? There's external things. There's internal things. Everything is set against us using science and, science and solitude. I think this is one of the ways the devil... This is like the, the you know, see it in, in the screw tape letters, the, the demons talk about uh, the, the best road to hell is the, the gradual one, you know. It's not, it, they don't want like, like uh, big sinners, like, you know, like, you know, go off the deep end. It's better if, if no, you don't never even notice, you just gradually go to hell, right? And isn't that, couldn't that be us? Couldn't that be our generation that we're so distracted? Um, you, like you can literally just, be distracted all day, every day, and just live your life and then die. Right. I mean, we could. Um, so why, why should we practice it? What, what are the benefits of silence and solitude? <coughs> there are lots. But I think, I, I think I'll summarize them in one word, the word depth. Depth. Uh, Robert Murray McShane, a famous Scottish preacher, said, What a man is on his knees before God, that he is, and nothing more. Which is the most convicting quote. Um, and I think it's true. A good, a good mark of character, a good mark of Christian maturity is your prayer life. 
Um, if you're never alone with God, uh, what does that say about you? And I'm not saying you're not a Christian. I, I'm really not. But I am saying if, if you never are alone with God, you have a very shallow relationship with Him, right? What would you say about my marriage if I never spent time alone with my wife? Right? I was not when married, but you'd say, I don't know how you could have a good relationship, right? You don't, you don't just talk to her? Like, no, I don't need to. Okay. Uh, often our, uh, all our social media, you know, image is just a mirage we invent, you know, to make people like us. Um, and, and, you know, we put up a face, you know, we can, you can present yourself in a certain way on a social media site. Um, and I wonder if it's so attractive and addictive, partially because when we're online, the online version of ourselves, we don't have to face the actual version of ourselves. You know, we can be that person instead of having to be us. Um, this is Charles Spurgeon. Uh, there are times when solitude is better than society and silence is wiser than speech. We should be better Christians if we were more alone, waiting upon God and gathering through meditation on his word, spiritual strength for labor in his service. We ought to muse upon the things of God because we thus get the real nutriment out of them. I love the old, I love the old English. We get the real nutriment out of them. Why is it that some Christians, although they hear many sermons, make but slow advances in the divine life? Because they neglect their closets and do not thoughtfully meditate on God's word, their prayer closets. They neglect prayer. They love the wheat, but they do not grind it. They would have the corn, but they will not go forth into the fields to gather it. The fruit hangs upon the tree, but they will not pluck it. The water flows at their feet, but they will not stop to drink it. For such fo- from such folly deliver us, O Lord. That's Charles Spurgeon. Um, but, but the converse is true, right? So, that, so there's some dangers of if we don't ever, if we're not ever with the Lord, there's some big dangers. But the converse is true. Think of what's possible. If you spend time in silence and solitude with the Lord, your relationship with Him will grow. You can know God. He wants to, to know you. He wants to be with you. Um, you. You'll have depth. You'll be like in Psalm 1 we saw. We'll be like the tree planted by streams of water that's deep roots. Yields its fruit in season. Leaf doesn't wither. Flourish and prosper. Um, you'll have something to say to others, something to give to others. Uh, you, you, Bonhoeffer talks about this in, in, that, in his book, Life Together, how um, we can't actually do ministry unless we first... Ministry starts in, in solitude. Right? It starts with us um, being with the Lord. George Mueller said, I, I have to start every day but the most important thing at the beginning of every day is to make my heart happy in God. That's what he would do. I was listening to a podcast um, interview with a, a psychologist named Jordan Peterson. Um, and, he, and he said, I just thought this was so interesting. He said, a good long-term goal is try to be the most reliable person at your father's funeral. So, think, so when, I, I don't mean to be morbid, but someday, like, your father's going to die, Right? And oftentimes, you, don't, you might not know this, but oftentimes when, when someone dies, like the father, mother, and family, uh, the, the, you know, the kids, every, everything bad comes out. Everyone fights for the stuff, and it gets really ugly, and it can be bad. But, but so, so it can bring out the worst. It's a time of grief, time of sorrow, often time of strife and anger. And so he says, try to be the most reliable person at your father's funeral. He's saying, build your character. Like, how do you, get, how do you become that kind of person? How do you... How do you Get that kind of character, the kind that even when you get punched in the face by life, 
Uh, you have the wisdom and courage and presence of mind and poise to stand and trust the Lord and trust and love other people. And there just isn't a way besides discipline, right? Discipline in the Christian life, the discipline of being with the Lord, of meditating on His Word, of praying um, in solitude and silence. And it might take something extreme, right? Maybe it means not having social media, just, just deleting it. Uh, maybe it means not having, you know, like getting a flip phone. <gasps> right? <laughs> right? Y'all don't even know what that is. It was like, it was like a cell phone, but it could like, you could only call on it. It was like, it had no features. Um, you could text, yeah. You could text. Yeah, you could. <laughs> snake. You could play Snake on the Nokias. That was a really fun game. Um, uh, but like I said, it, so it may take something extreme, but you got to figure it out. And you say, you might say, Lawson, but how do I, how will I deal with everything I miss if I don't have social media, if I don't have Instagram? Um, yeah, you know, you might miss some cultural trends, and you certainly miss some funny memes, you know. Um, you'll, you'll certainly miss some pictures and updates on what your friends are doing, you know, and what they're eating and, you know, what their cat's doing that day. Um, but I would counter you and, and just ask, what do you think you'll miss if you don't develop a consistent time with the Lord? I think you'll miss depth. Depth of knowing yourself, depth of relationship with God, depth of resources to love and serve others, right? When people are on their deathbeds, they're never like, man, if I'd have just had another Twitter account, I could have truly had a, a meaningful life, right? They, didn't, they don't say that, but they do say things like, man, I wish I would have spent more time with my family. I wish I would have spent more time in prayer. I wish I would have, right? Um, I, they have regrets like that. I was, I'm talking a lot about death for some reason. I'm just getting morbid. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I don't think, yeah. Uh, King Jesus calls us to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. And so how does that apply to technology and our time, right? What does it mean to deny yourself? It means I want to do this, but I'm not going to because there's something else that's more important. That I want this thing, but I'm not going to get it because I think... That I mean, I think that God is more important and that this would distract me from Him. The gate is narrow, the way is steep that leads to life. Those who find it are few. The gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. Those who find it are many. Um, the good news is that when, we were in, when we are in silence and solitude and finally with our phones in the other room and the TV's off and the notifications are muted and the door is closed, and the Xbox controllers are, are safely stored away, uh, and, uh, and our Bibles are open, right, when we're alone with the Lord, and our thoughts, and, and when, the, when the shame comes, when, when the darkness comes, when the uncomfortableness comes, the guilt, we know what to do with it, right? We're Christians, right? We take it to Jesus. We take it to Him. He died for us so that we could be free from these things. He, forgive, he forgives us. He loves us. He wants to be with us and, and, and help us and grow us. Um, it's why he says his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Right? It's because he helps us to carry it. So in our solitude and silence, he won't ever leave us alone. Right? In fact, he'll meet us there in the quiet and profound ways that we can't yet imagine. Um, and, and he'll make us wise and make us courageous and make us into lights, lights of the world that he calls us to be.